There are two things in the world you never want to let people see how you make them. Laws and sausages. Welcome to The Sausage Makers, a show about government, policy, and the folks who run the country. Today's episode, The Nuclear Option. Who should be in control of the world's most dangerous weapons? Congress or the president? Donald Trump's nuclear rhetoric might sound irresponsible, but is it based in sound strategy? How can we work toward disarmament and non-proliferation on the one hand, and expect our adversaries to believe us when we say all options are on the table? How can we reconcile the irrefutable utility and terrifying reality of nuclear weapons? We'll start our journey, as we frequently will, with a bill. A bill that no one thinks is going anywhere. It's called the Restricting First Use of Nuclear Weapons Act. It was introduced a month ago by Congressman Ted Lieu of California and Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts, both Democrats. I'm going to have my lovely computerized assistant, Laura, read you the bulk of the bill. Notwithstanding any other provision of law, the president may not use the armed forces of the United States to conduct a first-use nuclear strike unless such strike is conducted pursuant to a declaration of war by Congress that expressly authorizes such strike. Thanks, Laura. So basically, the bill says that the president can only use nuclear weapons in response to a nuclear attack unless Congress first declares war and authorizes a first strike. So what exactly is a first strike? During the Cold War, the U.S. and the Soviet Union found themselves in an arms race, basically trying to outnumber each other in nuclear weapons. The arms race was driven by two ideas. First, that if either country ever needed to use their nuclear arsenal, they wanted to make sure that they were the first ones to do it. That way, they could do enough damage to their enemy's stockpile to minimize the casualties of the retaliatory strike, or second strike, that would soon follow. Now, both sides knew this strategy, and they both knew that they both knew. So the other side of this equation is that we wanted to maximize the damage of a second strike, so that the enemy knew that even if they launched their strike first, they would still face nuclear devastation in return. If both sides know that a first strike results in a second strike, then a first strike is suicidal. This is the core of the theory of mutually assured destruction with the appropriate acronym MAD. Since the Cold War, MAD has taken a back seat to other deterrence mindsets. We'll talk about that later. But first, back to the bill. Let's listen to some arguments in favor of it. This is a statement by Congressman Liu, who sponsored the Restricting First Use of Nuclear Weapons Act in the House of Representatives. Laura? Our founding fathers would be rolling over in their graves if they knew the president could launch a massive potentially civilization-ending military strike without authorization from Congress. Our Constitution created a government based on checks and balances, and gave the power to declare war solely to the people's representatives. A nuclear first strike, which can kill hundreds of millions of people and invite a retaliatory strike that can destroy America, is war. The current nuclear launch approval process, which gives the decision to potentially end civilization as we know it to a single individual, is flatly unconstitutional. I am proud to introduce the Restricting First Use of Nuclear Weapons Act of 2016 with Senator Markey to realign our nation's nuclear weapons launch policy with the Constitution. Congressman Liu's argument is about Congress taking back the power to declare war, which they haven't done since World War II. 
Legislators on both sides of the aisle have tried to regain this power, but it hasn't really worked. Because it's in the interest of both Republican and Democratic legislators to have a greater say, Lou and Markey are likely hoping to get bipartisan support for this bill. It could happen, but it hasn't yet, and probably won't. One problem with the bill is that Congress isn't exactly known for moving quickly or quietly. By the time the president gets authorization for a first strike, our targets would have heard about it, would have safeguarded their stockpiles, and perhaps even launched a preemptive attack. So even though it wouldn't make a first strike impossible, it would make it almost entirely ineffective. But maybe that's okay. William J. Perry, the defense secretary under Bill Clinton, says that even in his wildest imagination, he can't ever see a reason for a first strike. During my period as Secretary of Defense, I never confronted a situation, or could even imagine a situation, in which I would recommend that the President make a first strike with nuclear weapons, understanding that such an action, whatever the provocation, would likely bring about the end of civilization. I believe that the legislation proposed by Congressman Liu and Senator Markey recognizes that terrible reality. A former Secretary of Defense says he couldn't even imagine a situation where using our nuclear arsenal would be a good idea. But that begs the question, if we're never going to use them, why don't we just dismantle them and put the threat of a global nuclear war to bed for good? What's the point of having a doomsday device that everyone knows we're not going to use? It's a pretty simple idea known as deterrence. In layman's terms, we have nukes to scare the bejesus out of anyone who wants to attack us. But deterrence only works if our enemies think that there's a credible threat we might actually use our nuclear arsenal. There's a complicated balancing act involved here. We have to keep up the illusion of a credible threat, while at the same time, never making an actual threat. If we made an explicit threat, we would have to follow through, or else we would lose the diplomatic leverage of our nuclear arsenal. And really, no one wants to have to follow through on a nuclear threat. Presidents have found a way around this problem. It's a phrase America's leaders use when sending a forceful message all options are on the table. All options are on the table, but one thing I will not allow is a nation such as Iraq to threaten our very future uh, by developing weapons of mass destruction. Iran must not get a nuclear weapon. I've said all options are on the table for achieving our objective. In both of these examples, it's unclear whether Bush or Obama are issuing a nuclear threat. And that is essentially the point is what experts refer to as calculated ambiguity. Calculated ambiguity. Keep that phrase in mind. It's important. This policy allows us to remind the world that we can remove them from the face of the earth if we have to, but it leaves us enough room to resort to more proportional responses without weakening our deterrence. The threat still seems credible, and we never have to nuke anyone. It's a win-win. Calculated ambiguity is an actual policy written down and agreed to by the Defense Department. We'll talk in a minute about changes that the Obama administration has made to our calculated ambiguity policy. But first, listen to this Hillary Clinton campaign ad, and particularly to the Donald Trump quotes. Think about the well-founded policy of calculated ambiguity, which says that a strong nuclear deterrence requires that our threats be credible. I spent many years as a nuclear missile launch officer. If the president gave the order we had to launch the missiles, that would be it. I prayed that call would never come. 
Self-control may be all that keeps these missiles from firing. I would bomb the out of them. I want to be unpredictable. I love war. The thought of Donald Trump with nuclear weapons scares me to death. It should scare everyone. I'm Hillary Clinton, and I approve this message. Now, Trump may sound callous and unpredictable, but, and hear me out here, those are exactly the qualities that make for strong deterrence. The point is to make our enemies think that we'll bomb the bleep out of them. And he really sounds like he means it. In fact, Hillary's point is that he might very well do it. It's meant to scare us out of voting for him. Just like strategically, his brash talk is meant to scare his enemies out of trifling with him. Calculated ambiguity needs a credible threat, but it also needs calculation and ambiguity. It's right there in the name. Trump ups the ante by being unpredictable and unambiguous. If he explicitly threatens to use our nukes, he'll have to use them. Trump has also shown that he doesn't understand the risks of nuclear proliferation. He's suggested that our nuclear capabilities are weak and that countries like Japan and South Korea might need to develop their own nukes to protect themselves from China and North Korea, who already have them. Japan and South Korea are under what's called our nuclear umbrella, which means that they've agreed to not develop nuclear weapons under the Non-Proliferation Treaty, or NPT, in exchange for the United States' nuclear protection. So deterrence isn't just about scaring the crap out of our enemies, it's about providing comfort to our allies. If they don't trust that we have the capacity to protect them, they might develop their own nukes. In 2010, the Department of Defense released a Nuclear Posture Review, or NPR, that limited our policy of calculated ambiguity. Here's Robert Gates, former Secretary of Defense, introducing those changes. To these ends, the NPR includes significant changes to the U.S. nuclear posture. New declaratory policies remove some of the calculated ambiguity in previous U.S. declaratory policy. If a non-nuclear weapons state is in compliance with the non-proliferation treaty and its obligations, the U.S. pledges not to use or threaten to use nuclear weapons against it. If any state eligible for this assurance were to use chemical or biological weapons against the United States or its allies or partners, it would face the prospect of a devastating conventional military response. A devastating conventional military response. That's basically the full force of our military power, minus the nukes. So we can still use calculated ambiguity threats against nuclear states, but not against non-nuclear states who are threatening to use chemical or biological weapons. Buck McKeon, a now-retired congressman from California, wrote in an op-ed for USA Today that calculated ambiguity has worked to deter the use of chemical and biological weapons in the past, and that it's a bad idea to take the option off the table. This long-standing policy of calculated ambiguity has served America well. One striking example was the thinly-veiled nuclear threat formal Secretary of State James Baker issued to Baghdad in 1991, just prior to the first Gulf War. Policymakers can debate whether the United States would have employed nuclear weapons under such a scenario. But we know one thing for certain, Saddam Hussein did not use chemical or biological weapons. 
This new policy could actually undermine the president's top priority of preventing nuclear proliferation and nuclear terrorism. Senior administration officials have made it clear that all options are on the table with regard to Iran and North Korea. However, there are questions as to how the policy would handle countries such as Syria, Somalia, and Yemen. All three are NPT signatories, but they also support or have active terrorist cells. Most likely, the United States would never employ our most devastating weapons against any of these terrorist cells, but broadcasting our intentions only weakens our deterrent. Also, the United States currently offers a nuclear umbrella to more than 30 allies, who in turn have agreed not to acquire nuclear weapons. It is possible that the policy changes and weapons reductions could lead to less confidence in our nuclear deterrent, which could drive some of our friends to consider developing their own. This is a sticky, icky issue. It involves public positions that contradict private ones. It challenges the checks and balances between the president and Congress. It brings together the competing interests of protecting our allies, terrifying our enemies, and dealing with the threat that these weapons pose to humanity all at the same time. We can all agree that nuclear annihilation is a terrifying prospect, but it's not as simple as no nukes. Like most of the issues our government faces, it's incredibly complicated. It entertains contradiction, and there is no easy answer. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, You can check out our show notes at SausageMakersShow.com. I'm going to post the bill uh, from Senators Ed Markey and Congressman Liu, uh, as well as some of the videos that we talked about, that Wall Street Journal calculated ambiguity video, the Clinton ad. Uh, There's going to be an article from Time that documents Trump's statements about nuclear weapons, uh, as well as the Nuclear Posture Review and uh, Buck McKeon's rebuttal to it. I'm also going to post some articles that have more information on the Cold War nuclear strategy that helps show how we got to where we are today, uh, some more things on congressional war powers, and some information on our nuclear umbrella. Finally, in the show notes, and I really recommend you check this out, is an article that describes uh, nuke speak, which is basically the rhetoric, the way we talk about nuclear weapons, and how that has an effect on how we perceive the reality of nuclear conflicts. Basically, it says that we use acronyms and domestic, what it calls domestic language, in order to obscure the real horrifying aspects of nuclear war, make it seem softer, nicer, if you will. Um, So that's it. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It'll help more people find us, and truly, the more the merrier. If you thought the format of the show was kind of boring, the way that I just bounce you from clip to clip and talk about them, um, I hear you. It bores me too. This is a brand new podcast, and it's really a challenge to get people to come and interview on a show with, I don't know, 30 listeners. But thank you guys for tuning in. That's why I need your help to get more people listening. Tell your friends about it. Leave us some reviews. Follow us on Twitter at Sausage underscore Makers. The website again is SausageMakersShow.com. Thanks for listening.